0: Bad. Why is it your job to be so goddamn excellent all the time, anyway? February 16, 2022 The Inspiration To Be Bad All bad literature rests upon imperfect insight or upon imitation, which may be defined as seeing at second hand. George Henry Lewis perfectionism is just running from vulnerability i've said that many times and i stand by it to be bad at something is to be the very essence of vulnerable to be open to criticism and shaming and humiliation and pain then again being good at something doesn't exactly protect you from any of that either does it no matter what you do or how well you do it someone is going to think that your work is shit and you're a ridiculous poser whose mother dresses you funny So if doing great work is no protection from abuse and scorn, then what is the value of great work exactly? And who decides what's great and what's not? If someone loves it and thinks it's wonderful, isn't that enough? We all strive toward excellence so much that I wonder what might happen if we loosened our death grip on being the best and just created stuff for the one person who might love it. Because here is this incredibly judgmental quote from George Henry Lewis about what makes good literature. And the only thing I can think is, who the fuck is George Henry Lewis and who crowned him the arbiter of the worthy? Fuck the George Henry Lewises of the world, darling. Make something, and if it's bad, so be it. You made a thing, and that's amazing. And besides, there are worse things in the world to be than bad. Footnote. It appears that he is George Eliot's boyfriend, and something about the fact that he's a 19th century man who was overshadowed by his girlfriend makes me like him a little bit more. Not a lot more. A little bit. The Fat Orange Cat. Failure. Whatever your character is trying to do today, let them fail. Make today a day they cannot save the world, they cannot get to work on time, they cannot open that jar of jam. Thwart your character, let them stew in their own failure a bit, and see what it does to them. Whatever it is, I bet it'll be more interesting than success would have been. The Trope The Cliché As long as we're talking about bad things, let's talk about the one thing writers hate more than anything, the cliché. Let's start by defining our terms. And there was something so lovely about the entire presentation on the Merriam-Webster site that I'm just going to put the screenshot right here. So for those of you listening to the podcast, yeah, I put the screenshot in. It says, cliché, noun, definition of cliché, a trite phrase or expression, also the idea expressed by it, two, a hackneyed theme, characterization, or situation. Three, something, such as a menu item, that has become overly familiar or commonplace. One of the worst things you can say to a writer about their work is that anything in it is cliché. You could get punched right in the face. So let's take a moment here and embrace the cliché. If it's a cliché, it's a cliché for a reason, probably because on some level, it's true and obvious and tiresome and all of that, yes, okay, fine, but also likely true. And truth has value, right? Maybe there is something in the cliché that is worth mining. Maybe we shouldn't just rip the cliché out of our work by the roots, but rather examine it and think about what the value is in it. Also, since when is it your job to be so goddamn excellent all the time? Be bad. That's the whole point of this week on Dear Writer. Grab a cliché, play something you can dance to on the old Spotify, and twirl around the floor a couple of times. Let your hair down and dance badly. It might be fun. Question. Getting worse. How do I become a worse writer? No one. Dear no one. No questions came in this week, so I thought I'd just stick with the theme of relaxing the quality control obsession on the work and see what happens if we stop thinking about becoming better writers and start thinking about how we might be worse ones. Why would you want to get worse at something? Because today is Backward Pants Day, that's why. We're just experimenting with loosening the ever-tightening stays on the Perfection corset and seeing what happens if we give ourselves a little room to breathe. What if we wanted to be worse writers? What would we do? Could we even do it? What if I wrote a prologue and not a good defensible one, one that just spends unnecessary time living through a moment 20 years prior to the events of the story just because I want to? What if I, oh, the thought makes me dizzy, head-hopped? What if I wrote a cliche and just let it be instead of instantly tearing it from my manuscript like a rampant weed? What if I wrote a fractured tease? And again, not one of the defensible ones. My snobby story expert heart skips a beat in the bad way at the very thought, but also part of me absolutely adores the idea of flipping off the part of me that has to do everything so goddamn right all the time. What I'm saying is, you only live once, and if you take your eye off the perfection goalpost once in a while, interesting things might happen. What do you gotta lose, really? The Practical Loving the Bad Thing. At Christmas, Ian and I traded our favorite bad movies. He made me watch Willow, I made him watch The Ref. And it's funny because we both unapologetically love our movies and we both absolutely acknowledge that they are not good. Like, not so bad that they round the corner and ride the momentum back to good. Just kind of mediocre. Not horrifyingly or interestingly terrible. Just not great. And the fact that Kevin Spacey is in the ref kind of makes it worse, but that's extra textual. So I'm going to let that detail slide for this discussion. I'm just saying it didn't help anything. I'm not going to talk about Willow because that's Ian's thing, and hopefully someday he'll talk about it. But for the ref, showing it to someone else made me want to justify why I loved it so much, which meant I had to think about a movie that has actively resisted my acid-soaked critical gaze for all these years, and honestly, I'm not sure why I love it so much. It's about a family that bickers so much that they end up tormenting the criminal who kidnapped them, so that's a funny premise. And there are some great lines. Your husband ain't dead, lady. He's hiding. But mostly, I think I love it because I saw it at a particular time with a particular person. And to this day, whenever we speak, the conversation usually includes at some point. I have never heard of such a Christmas. Sex and drugs and and, and women being set on fire. And Mary, gag your grandma. So I love it. Not because it was great, but because it was the right story at the right time for me and one of the most precious people in my life. My point? Stories are magic, and magic exists on its own terms. Magic is not interested in our petty evaluations of merit. We can try to decide what's quote-unquote good and what's quote-unquote bad, but in the end, it doesn't matter. What matters is that the story delighted us or spoke to us or helped us process something we needed to process. I'm going to keep teaching people how to tell better stories because I love that work and I think it has value. But I'd like to hold this space for stories like The Ref because story snobbery is a thief of joy and he's not getting the goods today. Nightmares. Everyone who dreams is a storyteller. February 19th, 2022. Dear writer... I don't have nightmares very often. Usually my dreams are all flying and water. Creative stuff. A plane that's going to crash, but it ends up landing in water and everything is wet, but safe. I'm trying to cross a bridge and the water is just an inch above the bridge and my feet get wet, but it's fine. I have a lot of dreams about being famous, but I forgot I was famous. And when I find out that I'm famous, I'm usually disappointed. That kind of thing. Creativity dreams. I mean, I have stress dreams from time to time. I forgot about a meeting and show up on Zoom with my hair all bed-heady, or I need to get something done, but I'm being thwarted at every turn. That kind of thing, sure. But nightmares? Brutal, bloody, visceral death and terror? Not for a couple of years. Until last night. Without getting into too much detail, I was part of a group of people who were living through a horror movie, and terrible things were happening. Visceral, bloody terrible things. And right when we had nowhere else to go and we were absolutely going to die horrible deaths, I decided we would rewind the movie and go back to where we started and make different choices and not end up in that terrible place. And then I woke up. It was 2.47 in the morning. Ian was up late working and I was so terrified I couldn't get out of bed to go get him. I just sat there huddled under the covers, freaking out and wondering what the hell was that about? It's just not how my subconscious works unless there's something really wrong. So in a stroke of serendipity, Ian came to bed about 10 minutes later and snuggled me and I calmed down and fell asleep and immediately had more nightmares until I woke up at 7am feeling worn out and stressed and totally exhausted and wondering what in the world was up with me. And then I realized suddenly what had happened yesterday that I hadn't fully processed. I was reading an article about the waning COVID numbers and Fauci said something about the pandemic ending soon and I thought for just a moment. It's over. And that's what broke me. My kid had pretty bad asthma when she was young. She almost died once. When we were in the hospital, when the crisis was live and she was in danger, I was great. Cucumber cool. The nurses were always amazed. When we came home and everything was fine, when it was over, that's when I fell apart. I crashed, completely exhausted. I cried. I had panic attacks, the whole nine yards. I think that for a moment, For just a moment yesterday, I thought, it's over. And my subconscious said, okay, time for us to process the apocalypse then, and served me up an evening of solid terror. Honestly, my subconscious wasn't even trying that hard. It gave me an exaggerated representation of what it feels like to see so many people dying in pain, suffering, sick, and wondering when or if it was going to come for me. And it's not like we're out of the woods yet, not by a long shot. Fauci proceeded over with almost, but I heard over and my mind went, well, alrighty then. It's when the real danger is past that the terror sets in, and the dreams make you work through what you've just lived through. Dreams are the stories our conscious mind doesn't know we need, but the subconscious always knows, doesn't it? Everything, Al.